listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. I did a little cleaning of my fitness area this past week. I moved the sled in from the garage. It's useless in winter outside. Set it up. Had Mm -hmm. to rearrange some flooring in order to be able to use the sled down there. So I don't tear up my... I don't even think I could use it on my wrestling mats. You wouldn't want to. It'd rip instantly. Uh, And it got got it to the point I liked it. Happy with it. Satisfied. And this morning, I flip open Instagram... And what do I see waiting here? Just you laughing at me with a nice new power rack set up in your gym. I don't have a power mm-hmm. rack, and I instantly got jealous. Good. I wanted you to feel jealous, so that's all I really cared about. So well, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Yeah. No, just kidding. I don't want you to be jealous. Um, yeah, I just, you know, for a guy who's in the fitness space, my home gym, you've been at my house, like really isn't much. A couple adjustable dumbbells, a Nordic track, and a salt bike. The little pull-up rack, like it's pretty bare bones, I would say. Machine-wise, like it was unimpressive. Machine-wise, it's almost everything you could need. But strength training side, it's bare bones. Bare bones, because I work at a gym, right? right? Like I'm at the gym four days a week. I can go. I have access to everything there. Um, but I find myself doing less strength work these days and less effective strength work at home, and so. Um, and I actually wanted to tell the people like how affordable this was to put together this gym. And I Mm -hmm. think people, if they can consider doing it themselves, it's not as daunting as you think after I rang it all out. And it took me an hour and a half to assemble. Like everything was in the house, unboxed, put together. I bought the power rack, an adjustable bench. I bought 315 pounds worth of weights. 275 of those are bumper plates, an Olympic bar, and flooring. All of it. The whole nine. Brand new. Did you go name brand? You're doing math in your head, I can see. A step below name brand. But the nicest stuff I could find. I went to Dick's and literally picked oh, it you off the shelf. Okay, so I'm going to say you then paid yep. 400 for your rack, 170 for your bench, and ooh, 500 for your plates. Okay, flooring, additional flooring plates. Another, flooring, another 200, plates, another 150. What else is in there? Well, you're actually pretty close. Not all oh, the Olympic okay. barbell. Um, so I bought a brand called Ethos. Think like Rogue, <laughs> but maybe like a step down, right? You would, I wouldn't know the difference. Um, I bought an entire bumper plate set. Bar is fantastic. Comes with really nice plastic round clips. It's like ten by twelve flooring, which is about an inch and a half thick. That just pieces together. Mm. And then I bought an additional set of metal tens, fives, and two and a halves to just complete the set. Um, Twenty two hundred bucks with tax. I think it was like nineteen or just over two grand before tax. And I'm fully outfitted, like one hundred percent fully outfitted. If you start doing math on that, like going to a paying a gym membership, I mean, if you can get a seventy dollar gym membership at a place that offers something like squat racks, Olympic platform, things like that. You can make that up pretty quick. And so anyways, I thought it was very affordable. So I went to Dick's and I was like, I'm just going to do this. So I bought it, set it up. Now I was just at Dick's last week and I went up and I, I shook all their power racks. <clears throat> okay. And there's a noticeable and? difference. Some of them, they move. And then once you get around that three fifty four dollars $500 price point, they stop moving. The pull-up bar stops having creaks or shakes when you when you creak <clears> on it. And that red one you have falls into the line of the mm-hmm. stable rock solid power racks. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was like 750 and it was on sale okay. for like everything went on sale after the new year. Mm-hmm. It was like on sale for like 600, 599 or something. Big time sale. Anyways, nice. we'll have to pump some iron in it when you come, when you come visit next. Yeah. The downside of lifting at home is that rubberized plates are oftentimes required, which Right. drives up the cost. Mm-hmm. I still think pretty reasonable. I mean, two grand is not cheap, but it's, I thought when I would add it all up, it would be more. 
with decent mm-hmm. stuff. There were cheaper versions of everything there. You could do it for cheaper. So somewhat reasonable. What do you all have in your home gym for weights? Now I want to know. I know you have, I have a half some rack. sort of rack, a homemade rack, I think. I yeah, had a homemade rack. rack. I upgraded to a half rack with an integrated lat pull-down system. I can do all that oh, nice. kind of stuff. Uh, and then I have 225 in metal plates, steel plates, and then I bought two 45-pound bumpers. So that was my poor man's like route really to that. Once I have the bar off the ground, I can let, add on whatever I want. And then I have an extra 45-pound plate that I just keep on my sled at all times. I have we have dumbbells up to like forty five, two fifty pound kettle or fifty three pound kettlebells, uh, thirty pound wall ball, and then a bunch of like I have loadable dumbbells and farmers carry loadables hmm. as I, that I piece together throughout training for things. I think that's about about Plenty what I have. Yeah, I have enough three hundred. What would that need. be? Three fifteen. 360, 360 pounds of plates are, are enough that as a runner, I'll never need more unless like, what am I going to do with that? Try to go after a 400 pound deadlift. No, I'm not like, that's the only thing that could ever right. exceed it. You can go I'm to a gym squat for one day for that. that. Yeah. yeah I'm going to want to, I'm going to want, if I'm going to really yeah. get over 360 on anything, it's going to take a year of work and a, I'm going to want a training partner or safety, uh, racks around me anyway. No. I have a shorty bar. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm still working on mine. So that I can shorty do supersets. 25 pound bar? Yeah. Uh, I'm walking super lunges s- and stuff, back rack yeah. or something like that. Things that I can move side to side and not drill walls and mirrors and stuff. Because I'm, I'm crunched for space. But- My next thing, <clears throat> you know, as I slowly shift from being in the gym as much as I am, like maybe one day I won't be there at all, right? Because I'll be full. I could leave now, to be honest with you. I don't need to go to the gym to train. We could, I could rely on the side of the business. But point being, if I don't have a gym to go to one day, I'm, I'm going to work on a, a weight rack with the gamut as well, I think, just slowly but surely. I don't think you need to buy those new, though. I think you can scrounge those up piecemeal by weight rack? pretty easy on Marketplace now. Oh, like dumbbell weight rack. Like get a, oh, yeah, run, yeah. The, you know, run the rack from 10 to probably 80s maybe. Something like that. Yeah, perfect world. I'd have a beautiful rack all the way to 100 or 110 or something, but that's like two to three grand. And it's like the least bang for your buck possible in the gym. I've been looking. The new wave of selectable dumbbells are are moving in the right direction. The plates are very thin. There's no space between them. They're steel. The the footprint isn't much different than a normal 80 or 85-pound dumbbell would be, at which point it gets rid of the downsides of the big selectables that go up high, which is you can't do half the exercises because the plates stick out so much they're bumping into you or your wrist or it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. The new wave is taking care of that, and you can get them for like seven to 800 bucks, which is still the best deal on dumbbells you can find. So that'll be my next purchase is a... Like fifty or forty through eighty-five dumbbell set adjustables. I would have to be, yeah, unless I find something in like a yard yeah. sale. Well, I was surprised to see, and then we need to move on. But I was surprised to see um, adjustable barbell sets there. I had never mm, seen yeah. those before. I haven't just perused in a in a department type sporting goods store. Like they literally have the same setup now under barbells that went up to like a hundred and. 40 pounds or 50 pounds like you can click in and it's attached mm-hmm. to the, like a true olympic size barbell or close to what on earth they look funky they're funky looking curved plates that click in it's yeah. interesting but i think that makes a lot of sense for the streaming based fitness person who's taking classes and just doesn't have time to do a lot of that and doesn't need big weights just click in move to your next exercise doing a lot of high rep mm-hmm. stuff with a, a lighter barbell i think that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. um all right <clears throat> so real quick, we want to we want to talk about the weather. Is what yeah. we want to talk about to start this thing off a little bit. You know, I'm sure you're the same way, but like there's a cold front going across the country right now. It's ridiculous temps. We're I'm sure you got dumped on with snow, and then you got the cold temps, I believe. But uh, we have multiple days where it's not getting above zero here, and yeah. we're then negative when it finally two. Does come out? We're seeing like three degrees. Yeah. We're, we're, we're negative right now, three right now oh, wind. without wind chill, negative 22 with it. I'm sure it's not much different than you. 
got like 15 inches of snow this week. It's it's winter, winter. Yeah, we're negative, negative two, and the next day is negative seven, negative five, negative one, negative two, negative three, negative six. That's all the way through Saturday with uh, highs in the single digits or zero. So anyways, between snow and cold, um, the conversation about like, what do I do or um, how to approach the week or am I a complete knob for just hitting the treadmill and not running outside at all? I thought it would be worth getting your uh, your thoughts on that, and then I'll, we'll chat it out a little bit. But it's very top of mind this week. Yeah, and all the athletes are dealing with it. I mean, all humans are dealing with it right now across the country. It's record lows or at least record sustained lows. <clears throat> and and so it's just a good – I think it's like half PSA to caution people, half permission to still do some training to get people out the door, and then just like our general guidelines for winter running. So mm-hmm. my general rule – is once it gets down to now it's a certain it's a different temperature for each person but once it gets cold enough i stop doing quality outside and i just make it easy runs and then once it gets to another certain temperature it's not really worth going out because i'm going to spend the whole time being unproductive so for me my numbers are when it gets below zero i'm not doing quality if it's in the single digits I'm not going faster than threshold. And it's like sub-threshold, really. Uh, my question is wind. Where does that yeah. factor in for you? Because that's everything. a big part of my outside equation right now. It's everything. Right. And we have a ton of wind. Like we had 45-mile-per-hour gusts this week. That's a non-starter. Uh, my, my real rule of thumb is the colder it gets, the more I get deeper into the woods. I just find my trails that are tree-covered. And if I'm doing interval work or tempo work, I just get on the most runnable version of that. And if it gets to the point where it's just like, I'm trying to overcome or solve more problems than are worth having, then I just head to the treadmill. So I think for most people, it's generally higher. My lungs handle cold very well. I get, I've done in college training over the winter. I was doing VO2 max intervals outside at like four, six, eight degrees. And I didn't really have any issues from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not a lot of people's lungs. Usually it's like if it gets below 20 degrees, it's not worth doing high-intensity intervals. So probably double whatever I'm saying. But zero degrees, I'm not doing any quality. Single digits, I'm not doing anything above threshold. And if it's more than like negative 15, I'm not really looking forward to going outside. I might get in the woods. But if it's in the negative 15, negative 20, I'm just on the treadmill. Now, that being said... I probably won't run outside this week at all because it's just Mm -hmm. so numbingly cold right now and I'm in a good rhythm indoors. So maybe by like Friday, Saturday, I'll get one. But so those are my rules. Probably double it for most people. I had a few um, proud moments for a few of the athletes I coach um, this week. I think four people between yesterday and today texted me or emailed and said, hey, looking at the weather this week, it looks rough here, here, and here. Can I do my quality workout Monday instead of Tuesday? Can oh, I bump my long run to Friday versus Saturday? They got ahead of it. And it's like this time of year first is like you got to play checkers or chess a little bit with the weather. Mm-hmm. Probably checkers. It's not that complicated. And it's like <clears throat> the first thing you do is you need to you need to pivot to your best weather days. So you can maybe follow the rules you just laid out. Like, all right, I can work hard on a 15-degree day, but – the 15 degree day is coming on a Wednesday and usually Wednesday I don't run or whatever it is. It's like, okay, like let's be very malleable right now. So like after you've established the rules, like you outlined, then like you got to look right ahead and hope that the weatherman's close to right. And then, and then pivot. But I agree with you. I don't think because what happens is if you go outside and the wind's whipping and it's five degrees, but negative 15 with the wind chill and you're just cussing under your breath. And then does it, what does it really get accomplished? Especially quality. You can go out and put the ski mask on and run slow. Fine. Um, but at some point, if it just makes you grumpy and you really dread it, like if you know, it's just going to be like wind hurts my face status, which is very common this time of year. It's like, I'd live to fight another day. And I think I won't be outside myself this week until the weekend And you could not be more right. You go find thermal cover in the woods. Even if you're running through a foot of snow, you get out of the wind. Snow is a nice blanket. It actually warms things up, which is contradictory to what you might think. 
and you just get in there and you slog it out and you get real time on feet, which is my plan to go to Afton, and I'll just stay in the dense cover. And it's still supposed to be negative in the morning, but you can get away with it. Like that is such a hack. Even if you're a yeah. road runner or a like go to the woods, find a way. It 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 I mean, ten plus degree difference easily, yeah. plus minimal wind. So I love yeah, that's that. Exactly idea. it. When I walk when I start jogging from the car to the trail, like I want to say Saturday, I turned into the trail and it was at least fifteen degrees warmer. Instantly. Instantly. Whereas on the way there mm-hmm. I thought this run's going to suck. So my ultimate rule is when I have to worry about my eyes, I don't run outside. When the shift occurs from sunglasses to ski goggles, I don't even make that shift anymore. I used to. I was proud of it. I felt tough. Now, at this point, if it's cold enough that my eyes are bothered, what am I even going to get out of this other than time on feet, which I used to do. I respect you if you do it. That's my my line. I can dress everything else fine, Mm -hmm. but it's... When I worry about my eyes, non-starter. That's fair. I think when you look at your week as a whole, let's just say the whole week is crap. Mm-hmm. It's 10 degrees at most, whatever your threshold is, who cares? It's too cold for you. And if you say 20 degrees is too cold for you, you're wrong, by the way. Anyways, look at your week and where in our week is the most perfect place to go suck it up, layer up, find the right area to run, and just go get time on feet. It would be the long run. Like worst case scenario, your entire week sucks because of weather. So sure, you sit on the treadmill, you feel a little guilty about it, but not really because conditions are that bad. But then take the time on the weekend. Who cares about metrics? Long runs are all about creating durability anyways, getting your heart rate up a little bit and sustaining, right? That's the one. Like even if you don't want to split hairs during the week and it's not worth the headache to figure out when you can and can't run outside. Saturday, Sunday, the weekend long run, no problem. Pace doesn't matter. Your body doesn't know that. It knows effort. And go out there and get it done. That's what I would recommend right now. Worst case scenario. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you take a look at my last two, I think, Saturdays, last Saturday, an hour 26, 8.75 miles, 9.55 per mile because I was bundled up. Were you on the trails? And I was on the trails. It was snowy. It was icy. These are trails I'd normally be running 655 on that. I was two minutes per mile slower. But I used all week to get my intervals and my tempo stuff done on the treadmill. Then I got out and I just got time on feet. That that doesn't change much. Then if I go back to this week, this is is a run right here, Kirk. Let's see what we got here. Is it a video I saw you posted? Yes. Where the snow was so heavy over the brush that it was folded over the trails? Yeah. That's amazing, by the way. You must have got a lot. We got flurries up here. I didn't get, we didn't get any snow. That so night, I, we I probably got nine inches. Those slow? 24 hours, we probably got 11 or 12. 53 so minute run. run because it looked rough. <laughs> it was great. Mm-hmm. And when it opened up, it was great, but there was a lot of that crawling under things or going around. 53 minutes ru- of running, 3.9 miles. 13 minutes and 38 seconds that. per mile pace. When Bracken's before. recovery run pace might be 7.30, let's say. Just so, I mean, you're talking almost double. Yeah. Yeah, and on that trail there, maybe 8.30 pace. So, had five minutes to my pace. But the day before, I did some shorter threshold intervals. The day after, I did more threshold intervals. Because what did I do? I took no pounding. I just worked. My hips were tired by the end, and that was great. But I got less than four miles in in an hour. And that's, it's just permission to still go do it. Mm-hmm. But then you use your tools around you. You find your treadmill and get some purposeful work. You just divide things out into skill work, engine work, and just time spent doing it. Yep. Um, that looked really beautiful, by the way, that little trail, that little snow-covered trail. I actually was a little jealous because those are right. runs. Those are novel runs you don't forget about, right? Uh-huh. Winter trail um, running in snow is still my most enjoyable form of running. Love it. We were texting. Was it Thursday night or Friday night? And yeah. you're like, hey, just so you know, I'm a little behind on editing the episode or whatever. We're shoveling and I'm going to go out for a night trail run. I don't know if you did or not, but we were texting at like nine o'clock at night and you were just getting ready to go out like in the woods, like a wolf with a headlamp on in snow. So obviously you're wired just a little differently. It. Did you end up going? That night, no, because the podcast was a mess, Kirk. Self-created <clears throat> mess. Oh, no. And we can talk off mic about that. It, it turned out fine. I created a problem by trying to use a new piece of technology. But I love uh, night runs in the snow because you don't even need a lamp. 
you don't need a, a headlamp at all. Yeah. It's just a white carpet in front of you and it's yeah, awesome. Fresh snow, especially. Yeah, that's true. See, we can use it as, you know, as novel experiences. Uh, the yeah. other thing that, uh, I had this conversation with somebody about this week with this cold weather. Um, and this isn't our entire episode today, folks. We're kind of doing a two-parter. We wanted to do an, a weather PSA sort of, and then we're going to jump into uh, abbreviated topic. But um, is so many people go out in the winter and they wear like tights that are like tight to their body. I don't care if they're thermal tights or thin tights. When the air hits your leg that directly without like a buffer of loose material in there to trap body heat your knees hurt your legs feel like crap and you freeze and some runners are so used to running in tights it's like they don't even consider another option for winter running like i'll put on my warmest tights and i'll go like that doesn't cut it when it's this cold you need to wear you need to wear a loose pair of pants that are made for cold winter conditions that trap body heat in there like a balloon and keep it there. But when that wind can hit you directly, whether they're thermal tights or not, your legs really get cold. And so like, who cares if your butt doesn't look as good or it doesn't hug your thighs the way you like, like get a pair of winter running pants. I have a pair of craft that in negative 10, I can just wear them and I'm actually warm and I sweat them underneath and they're comfortable. They're unbelievable. Um, and they were expensive. They're like, uh, I think $160 pair of pants or something. And you know what? I'd buy them 10 times over because they're that valuable. So anyways, like I think people should ditch the tights. You're going to feel a lot better in the legs. My, clearly you're, I'm talking to you. Maybe, maybe you're fine. Maybe you're bionic and amazing. I'm not, I need a My nice legs are never cold. buffer in there. Shush your mouth. Knees, your knees don't hurt after a long run. If you're hitting the wind in tights. Uh, well, the, I also, I invested in wind blocker tights. If it gets <laughs> below zero. I have wind blocker thermal tight, but no, it's my hands, my face, my ears, that kind of thing will get really cold. But my legs, I've almost never, even in the really cold OCR races or things thought, man, my legs are cold now. It's everything but my legs, but I get what you're saying. Well, it's not like they feel cold. They just like don't work as well. Like, I can see They just that. aren't functioning yeah. well because they're, and then that's how I feel about it anyways. And then. Maybe you're systemically a little colder, but it's not like, oh, my thighs are so cold, but it's like, oh, I'm chilled like at my core. I feel like that's what I'm more describing. But the knee thing is real. If you go run out in wind and it's, and you have just a thin layer of tights on, my knees will get like real, like they'll hurt for until I'm fully unthawed and Mm -hmm. such, but maybe that's age. I don't know. Well, and that's, that's the thing that gets me now is after surgery, my knees do ache more in the cold. But the key there, I think with what you're saying, and I think you have a pair of these is they don't make great cold weather running pants. Some companies do, but skiing pants, cross country skiing pants yeah. are the real deal. And I'm sure your craft ones are probably cross country. Mm-hmm. They're Nordic pants. And those are the ones that they have spent time making sure that they are able to handle every condition. Yeah. it's good advice. I think these are specific running pants, but oh. they had a really good review. So I just Should we transition um, anything seamlessly? Anything else winter running that comes to mind? There you go. Great minds. Yes. Let's do that. Okay. So part two of this is kind of just a forefront, like what's on the forefront of our mind right now. And it's specific to me right now. And I think it can be specific to a lot of people because I just happen to be doing something that aligns with off-season type work. And that is I'm stringing along a lot of B to B plus workouts. I haven't had a, I haven't had an impressive workout in a long time. I'm starting week seven of my training block and physically, this is the most important part here, physically in terms of fatigue and damage and just motivation for training, this is the best I've ever felt in week seven of a training block. And it's because I'm under swinging every single workout, but I'm hitting them more frequently and it's not balancing out. It's not like the same amount of stress I would get during a block with bigger workouts and less of them. I'm feeling better doing more frequent quality, but just way less intense quality. So I'm doing a lot of like 80 to 85% workouts and I'm feeling just fantastic. And it feels so perfectly situated to an off season block that I wanted to talk about it today. So we're talking about you're staying available and you're staying hungry. And those two things, I don't know if there are more, two more important things, um, inconsistent endurance training 
is having those two assets. You're going to find success if you're available and you're hungry or craving more, right? Mm-hmm. Um, could you be a little specific maybe with like yes. – uh, like here would be an example of an eight, like I'm swinging for the fences on this workout versus what I'm actually doing now. Why don't you give the audience like a comparative? So first of all, like a six to eight mile tempo at marathon pace or effort would be what I would consider a normal workout for that. I'm doing four miles to five miles and I'm not cutting down throughout. I'm not getting into the workout feeling good and ripping the last mile. I'm just stopping at four. Like a a thousand meter workout. I'm doing this indoor, doing minutes, but 10, 10 to 12 by thousand at threshold, let's call it 60 minute race pace on 60 seconds rest would be a full workout. I'm doing eight to 10 and I'm doing it at 90 minute race pace. So I'm, I'm staying, I'm steering clear either duration or intensity of what the full prescription of a good solid big workout would be. But as a result, I'm doing more frequency of quality than I've been able to since probably 2013, Kirk. Wow. I did three threshold intervals last week, three threshold workouts last week, but they were on the, like, if there is a scale of slowest to fastest threshold, like heart rate wise, I'm 161 to 166. I'm averaging 159 to 160 during these workouts. Like I am on Mm. technically a sub threshold, but- it's just feeling so good. And I've, I've talked about it with a few people recently, but there's been, um, I've, I've just been researching the Norwegian method a lot and reading up on Seiler's work and there, he has a statement in there and he's one of the godfathers of polarized training now, up to 97% of the benefit of threshold can occur at 90% of threshold. And he said 95 before he mm. said 97. So he's talking 90 to 97% of the benefit of working at your actual <clears throat> threshold can occur at 90% of your actual threshold. And I'm sitting probably 88. So I'm off the scale a little bit, but it's just like the frequency. It's just allowing me to run quicker more often, which I've really been missing the skill of running. And it's just, I'm feeling so ready for each day's training. Um, honest answer. Was this by design or did you stumble into it? Both. I started, I started feeling like I was repeating mistakes I've made in the past, which is starting to feel more fit and then saying, this is now permission to work harder. So instead I said, I'm going to stay right here and see how long I can stay here. But because it got me thinking, I started reading more and pulling up these research articles. And by the end of like probably two weeks ago, I even moved back another notch rather than saying, let's sit here as long as we can. It's let's move Mm -hmm. back a little bit and see if we can make it even further and start extending duration of workouts rather than just holding for longer. So it started by kind of stumbling and then it was reassuring to read a lot of smarter than me research and feel just justified that, yeah, this is this is something that some people do intentionally. So why can't I do it in my off season? It was interesting. I was um, on the treadmill before we recorded and I was uh, watching, I guess, technically a Grant Fisher interview. Mm. Um, he did it with Let's Run, I think. Yeah. And he just switched over from Bowerman Track Club and now he's a lone wolf under his old high school coach, mm-hmm. which is just very interesting. And they were asking him about the differences in sessions and all of that. And uh, one of, and we've had this conversation about Jakob Ingebrigtsen briefly. I brought it up, but he even had said, you know, the what like the best and the worst part about training alone is nobody else dictates your pacing or your effort. You can go with how you feel, uh, including the recovery runs and all that. <clears throat> but he was saying the hard part is not having the team there or his coach isn't always with him physically in person now. So he may go to the track and run a solo workout, like as a pro Mm -hmm. athlete, he's like, nobody's there to put a govern on me. Like the idea is to not like we get like, basically the sentiments is you get yelled at for working too hard too often. It's all about like control, control, control. Don't swing too hard. Stay available. We need to have a long season. You need to be able to access this for a long time. Like you'll get yelled at for going too fast. Mm-hmm. Like in what world are most of our listeners going to go run a workout, net, knock it out of the park 
and not be proud of themselves and think they did themselves the most service they could that day. When pro athletes, and you hear it across the board now, it's about tempering your enthusiasm, tempering your enthusiasm, striking only when necessary, tempering, tempering, tempering. And I just think it's an interesting sentiment because I just watched that like 60 minutes ago. And then here you're talking, you know, on your own level about kind of the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's just fascinating to me. And most people don't believe or understand that principle that the pro athletes, yeah, they put in time. Yes, they put in emotional energy. Yes, they do all the little things. A lot of them do anyways. But they're actually not turning themselves inside out like you are every week. Like mm -hmm. you're just sitting there killing yourself inside doing these Metcons and incline trainer workouts and interval sessions and you leave miserable. Like these guys, although they're the best in the world, aren't working as hard as you. Yeah. And yet they're better. Why is that? Because they're available. So anyways, that's a bit of a, a rant, but I think there's some truth to it. There's a lot of truth to it. Yeah, I was talking actually after the uh, alumni basketball tournament with – the guys that I hadn't seen from high school in seven to 10 years. And we we're all chatting about how our bodies held up and we're sitting there stretching and people are popping ibuprofen and, you know, liquid IV and just trying to recover from what just happened. And they're like, you seem, you had knee surgery, right? And I said, yeah. And they said, you seem to be back. And my comment was that, and it was honest, I feel like I'm to the point where I can do anything I used to be able to do. It just costs me more now. Like I can recover, I can do it mm -hmm. at the same level I used to in most way, like actual exertion or impact and I can recover from it, but the recovery is like 50% more or a hundred percent more in some cases. And that was the issue I was running into with training is I can do this workout. I'm progressing in it, but now I need two days in between instead of three or three days instead of two. And we've become two day a week quality people. But now those two days are costing me more. And so then I'm trying to not do quite as much in them, which stops making sense for just twice a week. So I, it just felt like yep. if I'm listening to the signals my body's giving me, what if I try dosing it less intensely more often? So I was looking at just even like a bad equation maybe, but steps. Do you ever keep track of how many steps your average run is? Um. No, let's say no. I do look often and be mm -hmm. like, huh, but it doesn't like set in. So why? Okay. So, uh, just because I was trying to look at a way to like quantify what I'm doing outside of heart rate or mileage or time. And I do a lot of like 8,000 step runs. So let's just say I'm running mm -hmm. 8,000, trying to make it a skill equation rather than a a just purely a cost equation, but kind of balancing both. So if I'm if I'm doing 8,000 reps of my activity per session. If I'm doing two quality workouts per week and they're big, those might be 8,000 quality reps, but they're not going to be because of warm up and cool down. Let's call it 4,500, 5,000, maybe like on an ambitious week, 5,000 quality reps per workout, which is 10,000 for the week. What if I do three hmm, instead and I do 3,500 steps of quality, 3,500 quality reps per workout? Now we're at 10.5. So I've done more reps, but I felt great after each workout rather than trashed for 48 hours. And that's kind of the equation I'm playing right now that from a, if I remove the science behind it and just go solely based on how often am I running quicker than easy pace and how often am I recovering? It's really favoring me doing more frequent B workouts. Because it's just constantly available. Yeah, it's interesting. It kind of, um, I mean, we just recently had a version of this conversation with Joshua Reed about, like, same thing with the long runs. Like, do you go 10 miles every mm -hmm. day or do you do a bunch of five-mile runs and then a 20-mile run, right? Like, yeah. which one, like, what does the 20-mile run do to your next week and how does it affect the days yeah. after? Like, what do those big hammer swings do and are they, is the juice worth the squeeze and all of that? Kind of the same conversation about a different thing. Yeah. Really? Yeah, same and I general conversation. And right now, this mm -hmm. time of year, you know, it's lending itself really nicely in that I haven't wanted to go out for 18 miles. Like three weeks ago, it was there's so many leaves down that it's just a task staying upright. And now there's so much snow down, it's just a task moving. Like, I can't cover that. So let's spam the medium long run. And then now I'm kind of spamming the, the B minus, B plus workout. It's it's keeping me active mm. because the treadmill is monotonous to me. 
unless I'm doing work. If it's interval-based, I can do it as long as need be. And so now I'm just doing more frequent interval-based workouts there, and I'm mentally engaged throughout my week rather than dreading it. But I'm also feeling like my recovery score via my watch and everything, which is grain of salt, but it's significantly higher than it normally is with too hard quality workouts. I would also argue if you're looking at like aerobic stimulus or let's say you're in the low end of threshold and we want to expose yeah. ourselves to that often in training that we, it's pretty much fact now that threshold work is, is the centerpiece to the whole run fitness thing. But if you're looking to spend more time, let's call it in those areas, I think there, there is a card to be played right now in the winter. And that is the treadmill card because you could do two of your three on the treadmill the pounding factor is notably less, especially if you have incline. You can justify it right now. Talking about uh, our conversation with Ryan Bulk last Friday, how we justify the things we do or our decisions. Mm -hmm. But you could justify being on the treadmill more, take a little less damage, maybe hit one quality outside each week on the best weather day. And then the rest, like you could really hit like, let's say you did 6% incline intervals on the treadmill and you cut it short before you started reaching. I bet you could do that workout three days in a row before needing to like back off. And you can exactly. do it because the damage factor. So it lends itself in my curiosity about why you feel so good, which I'm very happy to hear, by the way. It's been a while since we've had this conversation. Like I feel good yes. and I'm like, this is great. Is I'm part, I'm wondering if the treadmill is part of the equation, my long winded way of getting at that. Could that be part of the deal? Well, and that's, you're exactly right. Like that's the, so what does this mean? Well, part of it means that, I'm not taking a lot of pounding right now. I'm running three quality sessions, but recently, since the weather, it was two indoor, one outdoor. Now it's three indoor. And I do not go below 6% ever on my intervals because my machine can't handle the shaking. So I've just committed to yeah. what I said earlier, going into the soft season, theme of 2024 is prove and stick with engine is engine. And then pair it with the skill of running outdoors. So I absolutely am taking less damage, and that's part of why I feel good. And then the challenge for transitioning out of this will be moving to outdoor and absorbing more damage. And I'm still running outdoor three to four times a week, but most of it's not quality unless it's mixed into a long run. The other tricky part for me is that on a treadmill, it is very easy to accept any pace because I set it and forget it. I'm running marathon pace for five minute intervals that feels insanely slow for like mm -hmm. the first six yep. but it doesn't matter i turn on a race i zone out and i just wait till my watch beeps outdoor trying to run marathon pace on trails or road when half marathon pace doesn't feel that much harder but feels way more fun it's harder to hold mm -hmm. yourself back so th there will be a a transition out of this at some point, and I will have to deal with that. But for now, I mean, this starts week seven of a training block, and I've been doing it for six. It would have announced something to me by now. The only potential downside to this is that you're not building fitness as quick as you do the other way. But that's not my aim. My aim is to be building fitness in September, mm -hmm. which means I can err on the side of, well, maybe it's dripping instead of gushing right now, but Either way, this bucket's filling. Well, yeah, and that's sort of like um, – I mentioned this before we hit the record button, but, you know, like in school, the like like B's get degrees sort of like saying like, – or C's get degrees, I think it is. Right. So let's just use – is it C? It's C's get degrees. It's C's but, get well, degrees. Well, let's make yeah. it B's get degrees. Let's make it B's get degrees. Like what happens if you go to high school and you end up with a B average? Well, it allows you to get into the college, which is the next phase of fitness, let's call it. Then you mm -hmm. go to college – and you get B's again. What does that allow? It allows you to get into grad school and you go get your master's. You get B's. What happens? You graduate and you have a master's degree and you're able to get into the working field of your choice. But what B workouts and B grades do is they grant you access to the next level of fitness. Like you still get to progress forward with B level effort and performance. It doesn't mm -hmm. like – it's not like you're going to get end cap. At some point, of course, you're going to hit a – you're going to – plateau at you're not going to get into princeton as you probably were education correct but it it allows you the next phase and just as you mentioned if i don't want to swing for a's until it really matters let's say this summer or later this spring 
like you're still going to be fully prepared and accepted by those workouts mm-hmm. and you're going to be at such a better platform because you've already graduated through like a process and B workouts do absolutely move the, the needle forward. I think most pros from what I'm gathering, the most fit people in the dang world who are doing it the best are just m- monkey barring from one B workout to the next B workout to the next B workout. They have their A races and they hit a few short, hard A type workouts within like three weeks of their A race. And then Mm -hmm. they race. They're not burnt out. They're craving it. They're hungry for it. Uh, Mentally, they can sink into it. And then they run through that cycle. But I think, I mean, maybe they do an A workout every few weeks in the off season, maybe not even at all. And so I think we could learn a lot from them. I think half of us are out there killing ourselves and we're operating at 70% all the time. And that that's worse than just than swinging for 85, 90% continuously. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you have a limited number of training credits to spend in the quality department. Let's say you're given a hundred dollars to spend. Like you can spend $50 twice a week. You can spend $33 three times a week, or you can spend $20 five times a week. The way you split it up, or you can have a 50, a 20, a 20, a 10, you're going to get to somewhere around the same place in terms of what you get in expenditure, expenditure-wise. However, the $20 and $10 days don't set you back recovery much, but the 50 does. So you exist in this polar state where you're rolling and then you feel like crap for a bit. And then you're rolling and then you feel like crap for a bit. And you got to do deload weeks and all that where in between is just the steady eddy approach. Never spending too much. But I'm never feeling like I'm in debt either. I just, I'm comfortable every day. And some people can't do that indefinitely. And some people like Jakob can. He can spend 10 years doing a bunch of C-plus workouts six times a week. Not everyone's mm-hmm. like that. But for an off-season, for almost everyone, it makes a ton of sense, sense because you come out of it fit, you come out of it healthy, and you're excited for the next stage. And then if you are the type, like Bowerman was for, for Grant... You can work harder B plus A minus workouts after that fact, and you're ready for them. You know who this makes me think of? Who I hope is hearing this? Because I want to get to the question of like, when should this change in your season? Like, okay, B mm-hmm. workouts. Okay, great. Like, at what point do we need to be like, you know what, today is the day I swing today. But that's not the question I want answered yet. Okay. What I want to say, and it makes me think of, is the over racer. Um, the person yes. who races 20 times a year or more. The, the person like I just knowing, cause we've worked with so many people over the years, like some of those people that race a lot also bury themselves in everything they do. And you listening, who's running, I would even say 15 races a year, but 20 or more for sure. Like, and that includes back-to-back days. I count those as two. Nonetheless, it's like, you are such a candidate for this. Like, you know what? I'm going to go work at 70, 80% in my quality sessions and my races are going to be my big a swings. Mm -hmm. And if it lands on a good day, great. Like you should be taking this approach the whole year. This isn't just an off season thing for you. Like I firmly believe if you're racing that often, you should never be lying on your back, hating your life after any quality session. Because if you burn all your matches, then you're going to be so fried by the time you get to your race or later into the year. These are long racing years, especially for the OCR athletes who can go from January to December all over the country, it's like, this just jumps out at me as like, hey, you should be chilling and never be a hero. You want to be a hero? Great. Do it on race day, not allowed in workouts. Just makes me think like this would be a system that would work for them. Absolutely. It really, really would. And then it's the kind of thing that Mm -hmm. you get to choose when you cut down or when you extend. Like for example, I did uh, did, uh, 15, 10, 10, 5 yesterday on the treadmill. 15, 10, 10, 5 is 40 minutes of work, but I did it at marathon effort. That's not a big workout. Granted, it was at like 8 or 10%. I think I did 10, 12 and a half, 15% on it and then dropped back down to six for the last one. But it's uphill, 40 minutes of work. I don't have to get intense yet. In two months, I can turn that to 20, 15, 10, 5. Like, oh my goodness, we're getting closer to an hour of work. Well, it's marathon pace. Split up. It's still not massive, but now that's another way to move the needle. And then you're right. Three to four weeks out, you can start getting sharp. But you can. this gives you options to extend on either end rather than if you're cooking hot, yeah. your only option is to hang on or totally pivot. But to be clear, you're, out, you're outlining with all of this like the 
the change can come to either rep count duration or intensity. Um, are you often coupling both as well? That's also part of it. Or, hey, I'm going to go easier today but do full rep counts. But, hey, I'm going to go like normal A pace, but I'm going to cut the volume in half, for example. Are you are you suggesting doing both at the same time or is it kind of blurry? It can ebb and flow in between it all. Yeah, I think it's case by case, but that seems like it would be a great transitional between preseason and pre-competition. Now we start lengthening in a few, and every third workout, we're cutting down to faster. That seems like a really easy way to start yeah. bridging the gap between where you've been and where you're going. But And again, we're not talking about everyone needs to do this year-round, because everyone doesn't. But right now, if you're antsy for speed work, but you're you're also aware that I can't do too much now, Hitting those 70 to 80% workouts is one really good way that it's a top of mind because I'm feeling it right now to be seven weeks into a training block and feeling like, I think I'm decently fit. I feel great, but there's so much more I can do in the future. And that's the feeling you want come spring, that there is room to grow, but I'm ready to grow. Yeah. So then let's just say um, June 1st is your first day race of the year. June 1st is mm -hmm. your marathon or your high rocks champs or whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, when would you, let's say pivot, how far out do you think it's necessary? If you really like, this is one of the two a races on your calendar of the year, you have like a spring one and a fall one. And this matters a lot. Like how long would you be content going through working at this rate before you start taking some risks or being more aggressive? June 1st, that's the date. It's mid-January right now. Me, personally, I'm done taking risks. So I will switch from 90-minute race pace to 60-minute race pace in these type workouts, probably 8 to 10 weeks out. And then 3 to 4 weeks out, I'm cutting down again if needed. But we've I'm talking already... intensity, like yeah. A workouts. Yeah. A workouts. When are you really – when are you going to – Embrace pushing through, finding out some new limits, you know. I don't think I'm going to. A, yeah. I think I'm You're going gonna stay right to. Here. I'm going to stay right here or drop down one pace bracket down from the 90-minute race pace to 60. And then I'm just going to enter races to get that. That's my intent for this. So if I want to feel it, I'm going to jump in an eight-mile trail race or jump in a road 5K or a trail half or something. I'm going to use races to do it. I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep it polarized in the sense, in le at least in this moment, my plan is don't muddy the waters in training. Stick with pure engine and skill work here and then go take it in the field and really test it. That's how I'm going to keep myself away from myself, I think. It's not a bad plan, really. Like, Let's say you swing at 85% on your workouts. You always finish like knowing you could have done another rep or gone further or mm -hmm. increased your pace, right? Like, so everything you finish, you leave something in the tank, which is what you're really describing to yes. varying degrees. You know, I think you have an A race, you pick two, three races, you know, three weeks out, six weeks out, nine weeks out, right? Just get in those big efforts that way. And then your A race is your fourth race of like a two or three month block and you're probably going to nail it because you're going to have good fitness, but you're going to be available. Yes. You're not going to be smoked. And I like the idea. I really do. I think, you know, plugging in two to three races in the lead up every few weeks yeah. would probably be about the right answer. The only way that my answer changes, me. the only way that my, that my answer would change is if we're talking shorter than a 10 K race, if we're talking five K or below. Yeah. Four to six weeks out, I'm going to start doing race pace and faster work because I need that efficiency at that stride. But because I'm doing speed sprinkles and I'm doing compromised running, like one of my three is a compromised threshold session and I'm doing a ton of work at that 60 to 90 minute race pace, there's not a huge jump from 60 minute race pace to 40 minute race pace. But from 40 to 15, there's mm -hmm. a massive jump in how you recruit and how you use your stride. So that's my only caveat. If I'm racing 5K or faster, I will start cutting down six weeks out. Yeah, I might even argue 10K depending on what you're shooting for, but 5K for sure. I felt that this summer yeah. chasing my 5K. I had to cut down. In fact, we had that conversation. It's like I have four weeks between my first and my next. It's like ditch your long runs, over speed train, just get efficient at running that pace now, and it worked yeah. for the most part. But you're right. I'd say that at some point then that – 
that conversation switches. But I would think anything that's it's close. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, not to cut this short, but I know you sort of you're on a timeline today, and it's already yeah. slightly past your predisposed limit you set for us, Bracken. Yeah. So just to, to kind of wrap, this is the fun thing to look at, I think, as a self-coached athlete, to go back and look at what are the things I feel the best doing? What are the workouts I enjoy the most? And how can I pare this down to a workout that I know will absolutely benefit me, but give me the least amount of recovery time afterwards? It's fun to tinker for a bit here and just play around with how can I feel good within 24 hours of doing this? It's a fun little off-season game. And then it frees you up for the all-important medium-long and long runs in the off-season. You can go run two hours the day after one of these without any ill effects. Yeah, yeah. And I would say um, it's also nice just to not sort of feel feel wrecked uh, <laughs> after yeah. every time you know it's a quality session you put on your shoes or something to like just like kind of feeling good the rest of that day for life Yeah, as well. And I think now's a good time for that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we covered what we want to cover today. I'm glad you brought that up because, um, and we talked this out because one, there's never been more sick people coming back from COVID or the flu or the norovirus than I've ever seen in my entire life. And everybody, not everybody, but some people have had to take like a week off or for me, it was nine days. A number of athletes are taking like all this time and then they're like, but I have a race in April, oh my God, I'm screwed. Like, and they have this rush to just go turn right back and hammer, 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 hammer out of the gates. And after getting sick and I have an A race in April, the Zumbro Trail 17 miler, which I just signed up for, and I'm gonna try to work on getting you to show up to it as well. Okay. Anyways, it's a good reminder that like, when people are coming off of sickness or break, which is gonna happen to almost all of you listening if it hasn't already, like just go right back into B work. Just go right. Don't don't get caught up in trying to make up for lost time. It's not going to get you there any faster. It's probably going to ruin your progress, if anything. So I think I just want to get that little PSA in there because I think it's important for those people too who feel like they've lost fitness because of illness. Um, no, go right to what Bracken's talking about. I think that's the right call. Perfect. This will be interesting to follow up Sweet. on in two to Shall three we? months. How long I was able to sustain? Yeah. How much fitness have I been able to generate? Because I don't intend on strain from this for a while. Would you consider time trialing it this, this time? And then yes. let's cut this thing. I know. You I think that fits in perfectly okay. with this. So style. are you going to to measure? Yeah. Okay. And then it's okay to race in quotes to go a effort. Yeah. Yeah. Because why exceptions. not? You've got it all in the tank. Yeah, I agree. All right. Let's wrap this thing up. Great chatting with you today, Bracken. Good seeing you too. Thanks for listening, folks. Mm-hmm.